Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. There it is. <laughs> Are you dad joke survivors? I don't know about you. As a parent, as I, as I go through my life as a parent, I am um, incredibly surprised that more of us do survive what our parents leave with us. Don't we? I've got two kids, um, four and a half year old Avery and two and a half year old Oliver. And they're beautiful. This morning I got woken up, bacon egg rolls in bed. I got a new bookmark. How good's that? That's me right there, wearing my dress. Um, so, <laughs> as you do. Um, it was fantastic. We got another one on the way. I'm about to become a parent of a third, a boy, in October. I'm incredibly excited. Incredibly excited. But to be honest, as we mentioned in our dedication this morning, I pray every day for God's grace and mercy upon my children. Because I, as I, the longer I think I'm a parent, the more I realise my own flaws. Uh, the more I realise my own incapacities to actually uh, be a dad that these kids need in all circumstances. I think I'm alright dad. I think I'm pretty good. Uh, but I know those moments when I, when, I, when I trip up. Those moments perhaps when I'm running late to work and they, uh, they cop the wrath of me running late to the next meeting. Or when I just can't get them to do what I want and I kind of outburst. Or when I'm frustrated at something else in my life and they kind of cop that. You know, there's a lot of things that we give to our kids as dads and we are a bit flawed, aren't we? Um, but dads matter. Dads really matter. Because dads are one of the significant figures in our life that will stay with us forever. And regardless of your experience of father, whether it was positive, whether he was involved in your life or not... Um, that father figure, the image that you got from that, stays with you. Uh, just for yesterday, I got a chance in our church community in Parramatta to launch a, um, a community project with the local council. We called it um, the Dad's Cooperative Project. Pretty much the idea just stemmed from I've been working part-time for about a year and a half and I've had my kids a little bit of the week and noticed that actually all of the services that our community offers in terms of parenting, especially the early stages of parenting, really is maternally focused. And as we're a society that increasingly wants to sort of get rid of some of the traditional gender roles that negatively affect people, um, I think the dad's role is one of those that we struggle to get rid of, isn't it? Because even though increasingly we have people working part-time, increasingly we have stay-at-home dads, we still are a little bit slow in our society in the take-up to actually support dads in their role. So we started this project called the Dads Cooperative, and it's just pretty much a dads group. It meets on Saturday mornings, and it was great fun. We had a dozen dads come along, and we got to hang out. We talk about what it's like to be a dad. Uh, we got to play with our kids in the park, give our, give our partners a morning off, and we got to sort of uh, share some of the unique burdens that come with being a dad. Uh, but increasingly, there's more and more research that's going into the early development of kids and what that father role influences. There's been a heap of it in terms of like mother-child attachment and relationship, but very little research into what, what the, the father-child relationship is about. And increasingly, they're showing that actually dads matter because there's a, unique, uh, there's a unique way that dads interact with children, the way they speak to children, that actually sparks different neurological pathways to what the mother does. Dads matter. Your dad matters, whatever the experience was. And if you ever have a chance to become a dad, you'll matter. Because you will leave a mark on your children. The reality is some of us have really flawed dads. And dads matter for two main reasons I want to talk about this morning. Firstly is this, that fathers will be one of the single biggest shapers of your life. They shape your identity, how you see yourself now. 
They shape your self-understanding throughout your growing and your development, and even into your adult years. Your sense of self-understanding, they, they, they shape your sense of value and worth in this world. They show how you relate to people. You see, there's a reality that the scars and the blessings that our dads leave with us stay with us for the rest of our life, don't they? For some of us, we spend a whole lifetime working through some of those. And it can be really hard. Secondly, they also matter because our image of our father, whether we know it or not, is intrinsically linked with how we understand God. There's a spiritual element to it. Even if our dad was an atheist, the image that we have of our father will intrinsically be linked to how we understand God for the rest of our life. And Jesus' primary term for God throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, is father. In fact, he almost never talks about God in another term. In the Gospel of Matthew that our reading came from this morning, over 40 times we read on the lips of Jesus, Father, when referring to God. Father in heaven, your good Father. The book of John that perhaps has the biggest focus on this relationship in our book, over 110 times Jesus refers to God as Father. If there is one way that Jesus wants us to view God, it is as Father. Which for some of us here today, and increasingly in our society, uh, that's a really difficult thing. Because how can we relate that image of my dad, who fell short, in whatever way, to the image of God, who ultimately is, is perfect, is abundant in love, is caring, is compassionate, how... And you can see where this disconnect occurs and the more we want to draw towards God, the more our image of our own dad can actually draw us back. And Father's Day can be one of those days that reminds us that there is hurt and there's pain. It's really interesting to me that when you open up the book of Matthew, we didn't read it this morning, but it begins with the genealogy of Jesus. 42 fathers. Almost without exception, each of them have a grand fault revealed about them in the scriptures. We have dads who blatantly played favourites with their kids. We have one dad who decided to offer his kid up as a sacrifice. I mean, we know the whole story of it, but you play that one scene out. <laughs> we have dads who, whose, whose kids were born in, in affairs. We have dads whose kids turned against them and tried to take the kingdom off them. We have dads whose, whose families were rocked by a brother raping a sister. We have dads who had nothing to do with their kids, dads who prioritised work over their families. We have dads who seemingly had no idea how to actually be parents. And then we encounter, in the verses we read, we encounter the birth of Jesus. And you probably think, why would we read a Christmas story when we're so far from Christmas? It's kind of like going to the shops straight after Easter and seeing a Christmas tree start and put up. Well, the reason we read this is because when Jesus talks to us of Father, we need to always remember that he did actually have a dad here on earth. In fact, Matthew uniquely sort of paints this small little section of the birth of Jesus and he focuses on the character of Joseph. I don't know if you noticed that. 
He focuses in on this man who, who finds himself in this situation where the woman that he's betrothed to be married to is suddenly pregnant. And he doesn't know what to do, except that he's a, he's a righteous, faithful man. And so he goes, the Lord tells me that I need to actually separate from her and no longer marry her. But I also care about her and her feelings. And so therefore, I'll do it really quietly rather than dragging her before the religious leaders and ridiculing her and making a mockery of her. And so he decides to do it quietly. But then God appears in a dream. An angel says, no, you must marry her because there's this incredible story that happened. She's been made pregnant by God. And so he does. So he takes it to be his wife. But he wants to be honoring to God and the situation that this is in. So he decides to not consummate the marriage until the child's born. And he takes that child and adopts it as his own. It's interesting as we read through the New Testament the ideas of God's adoption of us. I wonder if there's something in that. Jesus had a dad. And in that little picture that we have of Joseph is actually one of a really good man, isn't it? A positive father figure. A dad who cared for his family. A dad who was obedient and faithful to what God was doing in his life and, and the massive challenges that God gave him. I don't know if I'd be that faithful. And I wonder as Jesus begins to communicate to those around him, he begins to speak, I wonder, I wonder if the Joseph figure influenced how he understands the word father. When Jesus speaks of God, he speaks of the father. And we can't run away from that. And for some of us, we might say, we say, I can't get that. I, I can't. Like the movie The Shack recently, you might have seen it or the book, you may have read it. When, when the main character Mac ends up going to this shack and he encounters God, how does God appear to him? As a woman. Because at his point in his life and his experience of father, he can't possibly draw near to a male figure. Because he had an abusive father, violently abusive father. And just maybe God is that generous and that compassionate to us as well. But we cannot run away from the image of Father. And so for some of us, we might, we might speak in and say, oh, you don't know what I experienced. You don't know what, what it was, the wounds and the scars that my dad left me. I can't see God that way. You know what? Jesus knew what it was to have a father who was flawed. He knows our experience. He knows the faltering of human dads. However, he points us to one who restores our image. And his revelation of God is, a, is an invitation to each of us to come to know God as Father, the one who loves us and cares for us, as surely as we would like to and want to experience that in our own dads. And so this morning, we don't want to look, overlook the pain that might exist for some of us or to whitewash the humanity and the faults that dads bring to their relationship with their kids. But instead, we want to listen to Jesus' invitation and to allow his words and his descriptions to restore and to heal and renew our image. It's, it's really beautiful. Brennan Manning, in one line, he writes this. He says, healing my image of God heals my image of myself. Right. You see, I will always see myself as a reflection of how I see God and his acceptance of me. And I'd like to add to that that healing my image of Father will transform my image of God. Because suddenly I start to recognize him as he is and as Jesus speaks of him. We come to meet him in that way. And so I want to just talk really briefly. Just I think I want to visit five desires that we have, I think, when it comes to dad. 
that we long for in that relationship. And uh, how it is that the Father in heaven, God the Father, who loves you, who reaches out to you, how he encounters us in those. So the first one is this. The first is that um, we all want affection from our Father, don't we? The Father's affection. I don't know if your dad was kind of hands-on with that, if he was kind of a snuggly, huggly type, I'm not sure. I know in my family, my dad was a hugger. He came from a hugger type of family. Do you guys know those families? Well, like you go, if you've never even visited before, you rock up in the room and everyone's embracing you. There's kisses going around and you're just feeling like, my goodness, give me space. I need to go to the bathroom. You like run to the toilet for two minutes. Uh, my mum's side of the family, not so much, right? So even now when I see my grandpa on that side of the family, I, I always go up and give him a hug and I kind of push past the hand. You know, that sort of thing. Like, hey, pa. <laughs> he goes for the handshake. I don't know what your dad was like in affection, but don't we all long for the words that, hey, my son, my daughter, I love you. I think one of the cultural images of a male that has done great damage to this is that stoic, removed or immovable male who is unmoved by the occurrences around him, provides for the family, supports the family. But no matter what happens, emotion is well at bay. For a lot of us, we have a great memory of our dad who couldn't show that. And often if you talk to people, we say, you know, did your parents love you? Yeah, of course they loved me. How'd they show that? Oh, my dad provided for me. I knew he loved me. He was there. You know, we kind of talk about some of the things they did to display that, but did they ever tell you that you were loved? Did they ever express it in an affectionate, intimate manner? Oh, not really. But I know, I know he loved it. Sometimes that word know can be a little bit confusing because sometimes we say we know something, we know it. Of course I know it factually to be true. I know my dad loves me because A, B, C, D. But have I actually got a daily experience felt that my dad loves me? Maybe you can apply that to the image of God for you. You know God loves you if you're sitting in this room this morning. And if you don't, then I want to tell you, he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. But for each of us, no matter how long we've been on the journey with God, my question is, do you know as a felt-lived experience the affection of the Father for you? The first time we hear of the Father relationship to Jesus is actually at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3. Jesus goes out under the water and he rises out of the water and we suddenly see this, this amazing scene where where there's a, the parting of the heavens and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and these beautiful words are spoken of him. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. The love of the Father for Jesus is a daily lived, felt experience. It, it saturated his reality. It saturated his life. There was not a moment that he would walk through his life and not know for certain that he was loved by the Father. And can I say that for you guys, that same word that was spoken on Jesus at his baptism, this is my son, this is my daughter whom I love, is the same words that God the Father speaks over you every single day you're alive. You are loved by him more than you could imagine. Jesus says, he says, those who love me will be loved by my Father. 
and we will come and we'll make our home with him. You see, God is not a distant God who is stoic and immovable in his emotions and stands far off from you and declares in some written word that I love you so that you can know it as a fact throughout your life but never experience it. God is one who moves towards you in his love, who speaks over you his love who motions towards you in his life, who embodies his love in the person of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you. My question for you this morning in coming to the affection of the Father, can you hear, I love you, can you hear those words for yourself? Can you stop long enough in the presence of God, perhaps on this Father's Day, to know him as the Father who in his great affection for you loves you dearly, intimately? personally, each of you? Can you feel his love for you? The second thing I think that we all crave and long for when it comes to dads is, is approval. The father's approval. I think it's one of the things that probably never leave us, no matter how old we are, no matter how effective we've been in our life. We kind of long to hear at some point those words from someone, well done, good job. I'm really proud of you. Has anyone ever spoken that over you? Even when you thought perhaps you fell short. Even when you thought perhaps, man, I didn't even finish the project. Hey, no, no, well done. I'm, actually, I'm really proud of you. Have you heard those words? It's interesting that that first scene where Jesus comes out of the water and the father encounters him in this moment of his baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, you couldn't get any more sort of public declaration of pride in his son than that, right? And if you just put your mind to it, you stop and you think, no one else in that crowd had any idea who Jesus was. They'd never seen him. They'd never heard of him. Maybe he'd fixed their window once. And they still owed him an invoice. <laughs> they don't know who he is, right? But the creator of the whole universe at that moment speaks publicly, I love this one and I'm proud of him. And may I reiterate what I said before, that the same words that are spoken over Jesus here are the same words that God speaks and longs to speak over your life again and again. Did you know he's pleased with you? Can you hear the words of the Father for you? I'm proud of you. Before you've done anything, before you've achieved anything, before you've, before you've done anything of worth that anyone else would possibly look at and champion and applaud, I am proud of you. And you are enough, just as you are. And I accept you like that. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We ask so often, is he happy with me? I know for me, one of the, one of the dominant images that I have that have shaped, I suppose, the way I pursue God is in some ways a good thing, but in some ways it leaves a mark on me that's hard to get rid of. And it's this. I don't know if you know the, the old parable where it's sort of, you know, the, the servants come to the master with their talents. Look what I've done. And the master says those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. For so long I've thought about my relationship with God and I've, I've longed for the day when... And maybe this is just kind of a you know, really hardcore evangelical sort of image of heaven and God. But where I walk to those pearly gates, right? I don't know if you've imagined this. Maybe I'm a bit sick. But you walk to the pearly gates and, and there's Jesus. He's, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You did it. You lived a great life. You did a great job. 
You did enough. I'm so proud of you. And I would look back over all the achievements of my life and the things I held before him and say, yeah, I did. Didn't I? Thanks so much. It's kind of a good image, but at the same time, it says that at some point down the track, when I have, then just then, just maybe, God will be happy with me. Have you ever felt that before? Maybe if I can get up early enough in the morning and read my Bible before I get on Facebook, he will be happy with me. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, if I can turn up church enough times this year, just maybe, maybe he'll be happy or pleased with me. Just maybe, if I can do that nice thing for the homeless person I see walking down the street, God will say, yeah, you're a good person, well done. But can I just say that that's not how God treats us? God's love for us, his approval of us, his pride in us, is irrespective of what I bring to him as my performance. Well done. I am proud of you, he says. And the other side of this is that he actually, it's more than just being proud of us. God speaks good things over us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I don't know if your dad was encouraging. I don't know if your dad ever spoke great things. I'm trying to learn to do that with my kids every single night. I'm, I'm trying to show my approval to them. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're my child. Just trying to speak blessings over us because for so many of us we long for that. And God does that to you. When God speaks over you, he speaks approval. He speaks blessing. He speaks goodness. He is pleased with you and you need to capture that. Can you hear the voice of the Father for you this morning saying, I am pleased with you regardless of what has been said over your life before. The third thing is this. We... Tied in with that, I think, is that we, we also want a, the Father's acceptance. God loves us, yep, because he loves everyone. <laughs> God speaks good things over me, yeah, okay, good. But can I believe that God actually accepts me today as I am? And can I just go one step further? Can I actually say, can I believe today that God likes me? Because that's vastly different, isn't it? If God likes me. One author writes it this way. He talks about the tenderness of God and says this. Tenderness is what happens to you when you know you are deeply and sincerely liked by someone. If you communicate to me that you like me, not just love me, as a brother in Christ, you open me up to the possibility of self-respect, of self-esteem, and whole, wholesome self-love. Your acceptance of me banishes my fears. Isn't that beautiful? In John, he writes, the first book of John, he writes, he says, perfect love casts out all fear. Yet so many of us as Christians live our life anxiously wondering, does God like me? Does he actually accept me? We're in a society that is obsessed with likes. If you're anything, if you're anything similar to me, you know, you're sort of, I'm on Instagram. I'm a craver of likes. Like it, is, it takes every piece of my will to prevent myself 30 seconds after posting a photo to not go back on and see how many likes I have. I've, just, just let you run on the inner turmoil of Steve Hodgson. I, um, I was on a trip a couple of years ago overseas and there's this thing you can do where you print your Instagram photos off after it and, it, and the company prints on the back of it the comments you made and how many likes you have. I have an eternal reminder of how much people liked me on that trip. And sometimes you look and you look at this little click button of a love heart and you go, I let that govern how I feel about myself. Have you ever done that? I posted a significant picture of my life today 
I had smashed avocado at Cavalier Coffee. And only four people liked it within an hour. They don't care. We, we crave a like. Can I just say quickly that the first one ever, and it might just trivialise God, but the first one ever to like you was God. He liked you when you came into this world. And he likes you every day since. I was at a conference not long ago, and, um, and uh, the, the speaker speaking painted this beautiful picture. He said, can you in the morning every day wake up and see the triune God in your room? And does he meet you with a smile and says, I am so glad that you're here today. I can't wait to see what we can do. Isn't that a beautiful image of God's like towards you, his acceptance of you? I'm glad to be with you, he says. And he longs for you to come to him and know and experience that. If you are longing for belonging and acceptance, then God the Father is the one who should define that for you so that every single day of your life you know that you are liked and accepted. The third one, the fourth one I want to quickly talk to is this, is the Father's abundance. I don't know if your dad sort of held on to things from you, kind of told you to fend for yourself in the world, taught you those priorities of make your own, be a self-made man. Some of us have felt that wound and we come to God in that way that God is kind of a little bit stingy. He holds out on us, right? But the scriptural picture that we get of God from Jesus as Father is, is far different to that. In fact, it's a God who is abundant in his giving. And I'm not talking about prosperity here. I'm talking about every element of life that he is abundant. He provides for you and he rejoices to do so. I love when he talks about prayer, Jesus. He says, when you speak to God, don't you know that God already knows you need it and he's going to provide for you? I mean, if you who are, you who are broken and, and who are sinful, if you as dads like to give good things to your children, don't you think that the heavenly Father, Father in heaven, the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who speaks blessing over you, the God who accepts you and likes you, don't you think he rejoices to give good gifts to you? God doesn't hold out on us. God is not stingy with his generosity. And he doesn't require of me in order to receive something. My relationship with God is never transactional. In fact, I'd hazard to say that the minuscule piece that I can actually contribute to my relationship with God really says that it's almost a holy one-way river of God's abundant love and generosity and blessing to me as Father. Um, I get to lead young adults and with fresh hope and we do training programs, adventure and impart and impact and some of these programs. Helping young adults in many respects deal with some of this. Can I journey through my life seeing God as one who loves me, is for me, accepts me? A few years ago at what we call winter school, which happens over the July holidays, we, we finished the uh, week, it was a camp, we finished the week with a, um, a sunrise walk. A silent walk, a silent retreat for a couple of hours. We got up sunrise and we walked along the Sea Cliff Bridge down there near Coalcliffe. You guys been down there? Yeah, it's beautiful. It always appears in all the best sort of like um, car commercials, right? It's beautiful. If you haven't been down there, go do it. But when you walk there at sunrise, it's this amazing thing. You're walking towards the sun. You walk along this bridge and you're over the water and you're walking down. The sun is rising in front of you and it's a beautiful picture. Anyway, the time we were walking, it was in July and it was pretty cold. We were walking along the bridge and it was silent. And I'm looking at the sun and just trying to think of God and let God speak to my heart. And I look out the water and I saw some whales. 
It's like whale migrating season, right? One of the best places I reckon on the coast to see it is down near there, right? Bald Hill, Seacliff Bridge. And I see a whale. And as you do when you're on a silent retreat with a few other people around you, I start yelling out, right? Oi, oi, come and check it out. There's a whale. Oi, come down here. There's a whale. It's awesome. I'm so excited. So I break my covenant of silence and destroy their time with God because I'm selfish. <laughs> and, they, and so we stand there. I mean, there's two of them. We stand there and we're looking out. And I just want to share my experience with them. And nothing happens. Like nothing happens. We wait and they're just like, all right, okay. Anyway, one of the girls who, who I called over to watch with me, she just says this funny little line, this funny little throwaway line. She says this, she says, maybe it was just for you. It's a weird sort of line. I don't know if she thought it meant it to be super spiritual or not. But I, I reflect on that as I did my rest of my walk. And I, I suddenly came to realize that one of the images of God that I'd had as father is that God is above niceness. God is above kindness and, and small gifts of generosity. Even though me as a lover of my wife rejoiced to bring flowers just to see the, face, like the smile on her face and express love, I could never picture or imagine God just doing something extravagant for his kids. Following God was meant to be hard. It was meant to be marked with suffering and pain and sacrifice. But just what if God rejoices to give good gifts to you? And I'm not talking about just like money and wealth and material things, but just each and every day reminders of his abundant love for you just in the very smallest things. What if he does things in your life that are just for you? Because he's fond of you. Because he is tender towards you. Can God be extravagant is love towards me? The last one I want to look at, and for many of us, and I think increasingly today, this is a really, really relevant one, is this, is the Father's attention. We live in a very distracted world. I find myself doing it all the time. I can be home, but I cannot be present. I can be hanging out with my kids, but really I'm hanging out with my workmates through my email. Or I'm hanging out with everyone else other than my children on, on social media. I can be present with people, but completely absent from them in my heart and my attention towards them. I think every single child looks for those who will give them attention. Kurt Thompson, in his book, The Soul of Shame, writes this beautiful line. He says, every newborn comes into the world looking for someone looking for them. We long for the gaze of the Father upon us and his approval for us. Is he looking towards me? Is his attention for me? You see, our value is being experienced when someone gives us their attention, isn't it? I always think of the people who work at supermarkets. How many people, they just like scan through their aisle who pay no attention to them. I haven't done that work, so I'm not sure what it's like, but... When we pay no attention to someone, does that just sort of in some way deteriorate the humanity within their heart and their soul? We look for those who are looking for us and we wonder, God, do you look for me? Do you even see me? Do you care? And over and over and over again in Scripture, his answer to us is a resounding, yes, Psalm 139. You saw me even in my mother's womb. You knit me together. He was looking for you as your father. Every day of my life was written in your book, he says again in Psalm 139. Do you know that? Every day his eyes are upon you. He looks at you. His attention is towards you. One of the, probably the most beautiful pictures of Father that Jesus gives us is Luke 15, right? 
the prodigal son. And that image of the son who is returning, who has fled, who has run away, who comes carrying shame, walking back towards the father, going, I don't even know if I can look him in the eyes. And where's the father? He's standing at the threshold of his property, scouring the horizon for the return of his son. Every single day till his son actually shows up. The father is looking for you. His eyes watch over you. His attention is wholly upon you. You don't have to fight for God's attention. But even more than that, he doesn't just look for us. He leans in towards us when we speak to him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus' image of prayer is the father who listens, who hears, who knows what we need, who when we sit alone in our room before him is imminently present with us. He leans in towards us. And he rejoices in time with you. Can you see the Father as one who is looking for you, who is listening always to you and is present imminently with you? The Father of Jesus, the image that we're given of God in him is beautiful. We spend our whole life trying to, I think, find that. And for some of you this morning, perhaps it's too much to grasp God as Father because of your own experience. Can I leave you with this hope? When the Jesus' disciples ask him at the end of his ministry, Jesus, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Just show us the Father. Jesus responds to his disciples and he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Isn't that enough for you? When we look to Jesus, we see God as God is in his compassion and his tenderness, in his acceptance and his love, his abundant generosity. If you cannot receive God as Father and use that language, if the hurt and the pain is too great, then can you trust that he is at work healing and restoring you and restoring that image so that one day you may, but in the meantime, look to Jesus, for he is the very image of the invisible God. He is God enfleshed amongst us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're going to enter into a time of communion in a moment where we pause and we remember both the incredible love the Father has for us, that he would lavish upon us his generosity in his son Jesus. And we remember that wherever we stand, we are accepted in his presence. But before I send you communion, I'll invite the band to come back up. Before we get to communion, I actually want to pray over you. Is that all right? It's okay, I'm going to pray over you, just a Father's Day prayer. And my prayer for you today is, is that God would heal your image of Father, that you would be able to approach him and know him and understand him as he is and as the one who loves you and accepts you and approves you and speaks good over you. And that just today, maybe, that as that is healed within you and that as God does his work through his spirit in your spirit, that that might transform your own image of yourself and who you are. And perhaps furthermore, that it might change how you see your own dads. And you can love them and accept them and relate to them as God does. So if you would, please stand. If you can stand. If you can't, that's okay. I'm going to read a prayer and then we can enter into the time of communion together. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.